Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. I'm Dr. Heidi, and I'm here today with my mom, Dr. Gloria, and we are talking about coping with loss for those of you that are just joining us. And our second guest today is a very good friend of ours, Dr. Howard Winokur. I bet you say that to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, Howard. Howard. <laughs> We're so glad to have you on. Hey, Heidi. So, hey, Gloria. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Howard. He is an outstanding person. Seriously, he really is. Um, Dr. Howard Winokur has experienced many losses, including the death of both parents and a divorce. Howard believes and teaches that out of grief comes a deep personal growth. He conducts workshops and seminars both nationally and internationally and is currently the president of the Association, Association for Deaf Education and Counseling, also known as ADAC. Welcome to the show, Howard. Gosh, it feels like I've just, this feels like deja vu, like I was just on the show a few months ago. Oh, you maybe were. I was. <laughs> and it was a fabulous show. For those of you listening, you can listen to it on our archives. Yes, and they can archive it at the Open to Hope Foundation site or the www.thegriefblogs. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Howard, so you're off to an ADAC board meeting, right? I am. Uh, ADAC's having its mid-year board meeting in Chicago. And I want you to tell people about ADAC because uh, I don't think people know that there's actually an organization who cares about grief and loss and who has ministers and educators and therapists and nurses and just people who are interested in grief, loss, hope, and healing come together, right? It's, it's an amazing organization. Most, it's interesting. You know, most organizations are people of basically the same profession. So, mm-hmm. like, I understand that social workers, when they get together, they talk to social workers and psychologists. They talk to psychologists and nurses talk to nurses. And when the ministers get together, they talk to God. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, uh, no. and now they have to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, but actually, uh, ADAC, the Association for Death Education and Counseling, is the largest interdisciplinary organization, I would say, in the world dealing with issues about grief and loss and death and dying. Uh, We've come together as an organization to try to both develop research so we can help people, and then we have so many clinicians, and we try to take that research and be able to help people who are grieving, Gloria. And it's a wonderful organization. It's a group of people who really like being with each other. And as you guys know, having come to the ADAC meeting in Dallas this year, it's like one big family because when you're dealing with grief, you know, that's something about grief that connects all of us that's very different than any other kind of life experience. And something about being with family people and being, you know, think about how many people are listening right now who say, I really can't talk to anybody about the death of my brother, the death of my son, the death of my spouse because, one, I don't want to put a burden on them, and two, they don't want to talk about it. Now, Howard, are you telling me that if I'm just a guy or a woman on this, you know, in a, you're not a regular guy, you're job, can a we come though. to your conferences? Sorry? Can we come to your conferences if we're not a, a professional? Well, it's a mixed thing. I think uh, non-professionals could get something and get some support from it, but I, my guess is it's more of a professional conference, Gloria, 
than a conference just for the average person. But if you're Although, a nurse and you've had a loss or a social worker or whatever, it's a great place to go, right? Yeah, but even even for people who are volunteers, you don't have to be a professional, but you need to be someone working in the field. I don't think for a grieving person who is not working in the field that going to an ADAC meeting would be appropriate. But for anybody who is connected with the field of death and dying or what we would like to call thanatology, which comes from a Greek derivative of the word thanatos, which is death, and thanatology is the study of death. It's a new word that most people really aren't familiar with. But anybody who is working in any way, shape, or form associated with the whole issue of dying and death or grief, this is a wonderful place to come. Okay, now, uh, one of the things that Heidi and I have found as a great resource for us, because we have people get in touch with us who feel like that they want to have therapy and they want to have it from somebody who knows something about grief and loss, we refer them to your website. Yes, um, our website is www.adec.org. And there's actually a section on that. Now, this is, again, the word most people don't know, thanatologist, which let's just, in, in our minds, replace it with the idea of a grief counselor. Right, and these people are trained. And there are people from the ADAC database who are grief counselors throughout the country who, if they need to find one, they can find one. If not, they can always contact me at uh, hwinoker, W-I-N-O-K-U-E-R, at carolina.rr.com, and I will personally help them find somebody. Oh, what a wonderful offer. Well, I'm going to, um, we've got some emails here, Howard, that uh, people have sent us, and I thought you'd be the great person to deal with some of these. Uh, Are you ready? You do, let me just say one thing. Okay. How it's always such a joy to be with the two of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. We feel the same way, Howard. Thanks, Heidi. <laughs> so the first one we've got is one from Paige from Alaska. It's a tough one. She says, my husband does a lot of hunting and fishing, and I'm concerned about him since our son was killed in a fishing accident last year. My husband is planning his first hunting trip next month, and I am concerned about the gun and his depression. Do you have any suggestions? Whoa. Whoa. That's a really scary issue. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is I would hope that the husband has talked with someone about his grief and his depression. Mm-hmm. Because those kinds of events can trigger a great amount of grief for the person. And if it's so overwhelming, it could be very bad for the individual. I mean, I would hate to think that someone could commit suicide over it. But the truth is, if we're being honest, that is a possibility. Right. Well, I, well, I think, think also, Paige, um, one of the things that you need to talk, talk to your husband directly about your concern. Absolutely. That it's your concern. And, and don't people think if they talk about those concerns, it will happen, don't they, Heidi, sometimes? Absolutely, Mom. And do you remember when we had out of the canyon Art Daly on a couple of weeks ago, and he lost his wife and two children in a car accident all at the same time. He was the only one that lived. And the first thing his friend did when he walked in the house was said, Art, I'm going to take your gun for a while. Yep, and he I'm going to take your gun happy. out of the house. Yeah. And that Just may because not be a we bad get impulsive. Also, I would encourage Paige, if her husband is going to go with someone, to also talk to the friend about it. Well, so you know, I'm looking to... here, and she says, my husband does a lot of hunting and fishing. You know, she might say to him, you know, honey, I hope you don't mind, but I'd really rather we went fishing this time. 
Well, and that's a good possibility, too. I mm-hmm. think if he doesn't have a gun with him, then he can't use it. Right. And and so the other thing is, um, one of the things that does aggravate people uh, who are left behind, particularly teens, when a family member uh, kills themselves, is the parents get can get very paranoid. And, and they want to say, I'm not going to do anything, Mom. I can drive the car. I can do this. So you also need to look at yourself. I mean, is this a reality or, you know... And talk to your husband about it. And if you're really concerned, Paige, and your husband doesn't want to get therapy, go get it yourself. Go talk to somebody yourself. Absolutely. Paige, mm-hmm. you really, really need to take care of yourself. Certainly you want to be supportive to your husband, but it's really important that you get the help that you want and you need for yourself as well. And also, I, I always think you need to do the very best you can and ask him and do everything you can, and then people do have their own free will. I think you're right on target, Gloria. Yeah. So we've got another one, which I think uh, fit in with you a little bit. It's not about a death. It's about a divorce. But so I know that notice that in the uh, bio highway it was saying you'd been divorced. And I think this is a good one to look at from okay. Bill from White Plains, New York. And he says, I'm feeling really angry since my wife left me. She and her new husband are having a grand time on my money. My sister says I need therapy, and I say, what can talk therapy do for me? So have you got any thoughts for Bill? What can it do for him? Uh, well, let me start off by saying that I really believe that if you find a counselor that you trust and that you feel is competent, that talk therapy can be really helpful. You know, there was I have a quote on my website. If anybody wants to look at my website, it's... Uh, www.thewinnikercenter.com. Winnaker spelled W-I-N-O-K-U-E-R. But there's a quote on it, and it said, A joy shared is doubled. A grief shared is halved. Somehow, you know, when we share joy, everybody gets excited about it. When we share our grief and our pain, it halfway lessens the amount of pain we have. It's almost like how many of us have automobiles that we would attempt to fix. Now, certainly some of us do, but most of us don't because we're not qualified to do that. Well, some of these psychological and emotional issues, especially associated with grief, we are not really able to handle it ourselves. So it's really helpful to go to a professional who can help guide us through the process, understanding that it is a process, and also understanding that if you don't get help, the potential emotional and physical ramifications of not dealing with that grief can be overwhelming. And, and I, also I just wanted to say with the idea of divorce, divorce, the idea of divorce is the death of a marriage and it does need to be grieved and I think it's a very minimized and unacknowledged loss in society. Oh, I think that's right, Heidi. And actually I've had so many people that I've worked with who will actually tell you they believe that divorce can be more difficult than death. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems sort of strange, but if you think about it in these terms, when someone dies, they're dead. You know that you're not going to see them again. Like in this person's case, what was his name? Bill. Will. In Will's Bill, situation, from here, here he is seeing his wife or his ex-wife with her new husband. Mm-hmm. When people are divorced, it's not unusual to run across that person out in the world dating again. And those are hard things to see and deal with. 
right, to be able to see them and know you can't be with them. It's, it's so much of the loss of the future and life you thought you were going to have. And that's one of the difficult parts of divorce. It's not only the divorce of the present. It's the divorce of their vision for the future. You know, when people say their vows, it's for a lifetime until death doom part. And the truth is, that's not the way it's going to work out for this individual or for a matter of fact for any of us. And you know, um, Bill, that he says in here, quote, I'm, I'm feeling really angry, uh, since my wife left me and she's already remarried, so it's been a while. You know, you're going to take a toll on your health, blood pressure, you know. Blood pressure, heart. I mean, there was a study. I don't have the uh, citing of the study, but this is a very interesting study. If we were to look on a timeline at the onsite of a chronic or terminal illness and back up on that timeline 18 to 24 months, it is not unusual in that 18 to 24 months before the onset to find an unresolved grief experience. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, think about it like this. Most of us know what ulcers are. Ulcers come from stress. Physiologically, what happens is when the stress occurs, it causes the stomach acids to be secreted into our tummy. Stomach acids serve a purpose because it helps us digest food. But if there's no food in it, what it ends up starting to eat is the lining of our stomach walls. And so that's from regular stress. Imagine the potential impact and effect that the stress from a traumatic or an overwhelming grief experience mm-hmm. have on our In life. fact, Howard, it reminds me of a guy that I worked with um, that lost his firefighter brother in 9-11, and it was true, 18 to 24 months after his gallbladder burst. Exactly. So, well, so I think that we're saying both to Will as well as anybody grieving any kind of loss the thing about loss, or I should say the thing about grief, is that there's an old expression I'm sure all of us are familiar with. The expression is, time heals all wounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure every one of the listeners out there have heard that. I want to tell you all something that's a lie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in uh, Palo Alto, Heidi's in Manhattan, and, and you Charlotte, are where, North Howard? Carolina. Carolina. Mm-hmm. What city? Charlotte. Charlotte. Fabulous. Yeah. And then we've got our engineer, our wonderful engineer, Justin, is in Arizona, if you can believe it, the Internet. Well, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about, we uh, had just talked about um, Bill and whether his sister says he should get um, uh, therapy. So, uh, anyway, I want to thank Bill for the email and for all of you that reach us through the griefblog.com and, and, uh, we answer all, everything that comes in and give you suggestions for radio shows. But, um, anyway, so Howard, I wanted to talk about this. How do I know? Here I am. I'm newly bereaved. I'm, I'm not sleeping, you know, whatever, or I'm crying a lot. Maybe I'm only in the first month. How do I know if I need therapy? I mean, people love to, I, I think people feel really comfortable if they think you're in therapy. I mean, then they, you know, turned it over to God or something. Well, you know, I think we still live in a society now. Hopefully it's changing a little bit. But do you remember, and I'm sure many people who are old enough to remember, I'm kind of dating myself, Edmund Muskie when he was running for president? Oh, sure. And do you remember he was talking, I think, in New Hampshire? And he got upset. And and he started crying because of the terrible things they were saying about his wife? Yep. And since he cried and he showed emotion... They said he was not presidential. 
Right. Wow. So we're not comfortable in our society dealing with feelings. I mean, that's one of, if you think about many of the grief models, whosever model you look at, one of the things that we have to do is deal with our feelings and feel the pain. And we're a society that's not really comfortable feeling the pain. I mean, anybody could go to any drugstore in any city in the United States, and if you walk around the shelves, you can find something that will impact and supposedly cure any hurts that you have. And if you can't get it while you're walking around the shelf, if you get a prescription from your physician, there's medication that will help that way. Absolutely. So we're just not comfortable dealing with that. Yeah, I have but, to tell you, and I ran a Compassionate Friends uh, uh, chapter for bereaved parents, siblings, and grandparents, and people will come into our group and they will say, I'm not crying anymore. Uh, you know, it bothers me. And somebody else in the group will say to them, are you on Valium or are you on antidepressants? And they say yes, and they say, you want to cry, stop taking them. Well, unfortunately, sometimes that's what happens. And this is one of the hard things that I struggle with sometimes. Oftentimes when people first experience a loss, because we're so uncomfortable dealing with feelings and pain, it's not unusual for someone to be prescribed some sort of antidepressant. So it basically helps shut them down so they don't feel the pain but if you think about it, the first week after someone dies, everybody is around. Right. The second week, there's still some families around, members around. Mm-hmm. By the fourth or fifth week, almost everybody has gone back to living their regular lives. You're now off of the medication. You're now starting to feel the pain. Right. And there's and everybody there gone. to support you. Yeah. yeah. Howard, do you have any idea what percentage of people that go to therapy are men versus women? I don't know. You know, it's interesting. If I were to hypothesize, and I don't have these numbers, so I'm just hypothesizing, I would say 70% women to 30% men. However, my practice, it's sort of interesting. I would say that it's uh, close to 50-50 or 55 Now, I wonder if that's because you're a man, Howard, because in my practice, I only have 20% men. I'm wondering if men may be more comfortable talking with other men. Well, here's an interesting point about picking a therapist, and there's been a lot of research about that. People pick therapists that they think they can most closely relate to and are Mm -hmm. similar in some ways to them. And that's why ADAC is so good to find a therapist if you need somebody for grief and loss. That's right, because there's such a wide range of people available. You know, another thing, and this is important to understand that grief is a normal process, and I heard Roberta saying that not everybody needs to go into therapy. It's only when you find that you're having a difficult time coping with life and that you're crying all the time or you can't get out of the house and you're feeling very depressed it's good to go find someone to talk to. And even if you don't go into therapy, there are so many other resources. There are friends you can talk to. There's your minister or your rabbi that you can talk to. The important thing is find someone. Especially if you're thinking about hurting yourself or others. Oh, if if you're thinking about hurting yourself or others, then it's not about talking to a friend. It's talking to someone professionally because mm-hmm. you know that you're not functioning on all your cylinders. So, uh, Howard, before we close the show, what's uh, some of your best kernels of advice that you give folks or thoughts or poems or sayings or whatever? Well, there's a lot of things. One of my, um, I just think, I want to just sort of put that all together. Um, 
I think what I said before, you know, about a joy shared being doubled and a grief shared being halved is really important. Knowing that talking to someone can really help you feel better. And also, I always think if you think so badly that all these people should be in therapy or that your spouse should be or whatever, if they don't want to do it, do it yourself and teach the world. Take yourself into it. Take care I, of yourself and you'll show other people how to do it. And I think mm-hmm. that is really a great and important piece of information because we can't, you know, there's an old expression that you can lead a horse to water but mm-hmm. you can't make them drink. You can't force them. Um, however, let me just say something. This is an, an, an important thing that I learned while I was working on my Ph.D. There was a study done in the late 1960s, early 1970s, by a psychologist named Dr. Goldfried. And he was interested in trying to predict how you could know if therapy and counseling would be effective. Now, as many of us know, there are lots of forms of therapy. People have heard of Sigmund Freud, and he developed something called psychoanalytic therapy. And there's Carl Rogers, who developed person-centered therapy, and Albert Ellis, who developed rational emotive, and there's cognitive behavioral and reality therapy. There are lots of therapies. So what Goldfrey did, he went and spoke to a lot of clinicians who were practicing these different therapies. And he said, what do you think works best in predicting outcome? And as you might imagine, each one said, well, the one I practice. Well, he didn't buy that. And what he found is that in most cases, now there were two situations, people who were dealing with addiction and people who were dealing with something called obsessive-compulsive disorder, that with those two disorders, we know that cognitive therapy seems to be the most effective. But with everything else, he found that no one form of therapy proved any more effective in predicting outcome than any other. The key wasn't how the therapist was practicing, but rather the relationship between you and the therapist. That's a great point. We've got to close the show now. And I want to thank Howard for being on. And I think what the message from that is, and Heidi, I've always said it, shop around for your therapist and find somebody that you relate to. Absolutely. That can help you out. Well, Howard, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great to have you on. Oh, it's like I said, it's always a joy and a privilege to be on with the two of you. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.